you want to uh, pull your Bible out a while, turn to the book of Jonah. I'll alert you to that a while. It might take you a while to find it. It's only four chapters. Buried in the Minor Prophets, Jonah chapter 4. Throughout my life, I've enjoyed uh, pretty good health up until about a year and a half ago. And... uh, And then this, the beginning of this year, started something new that nobody seemed to know what it was. Um, early January, I started having problems with my eyes and my head. I had a round-the-clock headache, eyes watering all the time, uh, sometimes blurred. Um, my eyes would hurt, feels like they were bugging out of my head, and a lot of pain if I looked to the left and right without turning my head. Uh, But the really fun thing was when, uh, after about three, four weeks of this, um, one day I went blind in my right eye for about 10 minutes. I thought, hmm, that's cool. Actually, I didn't say that. Um, But the doctors had been uh, sending me on a tour of all kinds of professionals. I think I've seen more doctors this year than I've seen in my entire life. Uh, I went to ophthalmologists and neurologists several times. They did all kinds of tests. EEG, they did an MRI of my brain, didn't find anything. I mean, literally didn't find anything. Um, did a sonogram of my carotids. Nobody, everybody's scratching their heads, nobody knows what's going on. And then this blindness thing. And that began, that became prominent. I had it happen several times a week, just my right eye. Uh, last anywhere from five to ten uh, minutes. Then it would clear up and go away. And... Um, you know, when I was a kid, thankfully it stopped uh, for a long time, uh, about five months, and about a month ago I had it happen again once. It hasn't happened since. But uh, Did you ever do this when you were a kid? I, I would look around at people who had disabilities like blindness and think, okay, if I, if I had to choose between being blind, not being able to hear, being paralyzed, w- w- which would I choose? Anybody else do that? Okay, I'm certifiably weird. Um, but I, I could never land on one because they were all so intimidating and frightening. And uh, so when I was going through this this, this uh, winter and spring, I thought, man, this would really be really stink if, if my left eye would start. Um, one time this happened when I was driving up from Virginia. That was really kind of scary. So I thought, what if, I'm, you know, what if this starts on the left eye and... Um, I can't just pull over to the road, see enough to pull over. And I thought about what it would be like to be um, totally blind all the time. If, if that was the way it was, then all of a sudden my life would radically change. Betty would have to lead me by the hand. So in our house, if I wanted to sit down in the living room, she'd have to take me by the hand. Okay, you're at the, you're at the couch, now you can sit down. When it would be mealtime, she'd have to guide me to the dinner table. Okay, you're at the chair, sit down put the fork in my hand, so here you go. If I needed a snack, needed a snack, she'd guide me to the drawer with the goodies in and pull out the things and say, okay, the chips are on your right. These kinds of chips are on your left. These kinds of chips are, never mind. I'd need a lot of help if I couldn't see. Now, we've been talking the last number of weeks about about anger. The series we're in is called The Shapes of Wrath. And part of the problem with anger can be that we just don't see it, blind to it. Tim Keller says that 
if our lives were not corrupted by sin, that anger could very well be an expression of love. And so, for, I mean, we have glimpses of that, even the way we are. Um, so when we get angry that ISIS warriors take women and make sex slaves of them, that's an expression of love for those women. When we get angry about priests molesting little boys, that's an expression of love, concern for those boys. When we get angry that a, a husband who's found out his wife has cancer and is going to die within a year and he leaves her, that's, that's a, an expression, that anger is an expression of love for that mistreated woman. Unfortunately, though, we are corrupted by sin, and that has meant that anger is typically not an expression of love, but it's an expression of selfishness, self-centeredness. This verse in Proverbs fourteen thirty-five talks about the king. It says, the king rejoices in wise servants, but is angry with those who disgrace him. Why? Because he feels he's entitled to their honor, and, and, and so he's upset that they failed in this area. He's upset that they uh, are not treating him as, they, as he thinks they should, should treat him. It's become, anger becomes very, very self-serving. And basically, I have one thing I want to say to us today. And I say us because any one of us can be blind about this problem. <laughs> Several months ago when I had planned a series, I, I asked Betty, I said, so when our kids were growing up in the house, do you think they saw me as angry? You know, and that's the kind of question that you ask. You hope, you f- hope for an immediate response. And, uh, you know, it's very clear and concrete. And Betty goes, hmm, uh, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I was a little less um, uh, resolute than I was looking for. But it is a reminder to me that we can, be, uh, we can be this, but think we're this. We talked before about um, this insight that I learned when I took freshman uh, psychology in college, that there is a me that, uh, me that I think I am, uh, me that I see, and then there's a me that you see, but then there's a me that I really am. In other words, you see part of the truth about me, but not all of it. I see part of the truth about me, but not all of it. But then there's uh, the real me. That's the, that's the me that God sees. And I want to probe this morning. Say, do, do you see yourself as angry? And then a follow-up question, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? And then... Has anybody ever helped you to think about that? Would you invite somebody in your life to ask those kinds of hard questions of? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to read uh, part of the story of Jonah, and uh, kind of an angry man, his final chapter. And then we'll talk about um, how, we might, um, how, how we might be and how God might want us to be and how he might want to work in our lives. So let's pray together. Father, we lift you up as the, um, the mighty, exalted creator of the universe. Uh, we learn more and more about this universe o- almost day by day. And our understanding of it is uh, far exceeds um, our ancestors of even 100 years ago. And yet we've barely scratched the surface. It is a manifestation of your might and your glory and your fame 
and you've made us. You've made us from the dust of the earth. That's an amazing thing to me to think that you take soil, you took soil, and you fashioned Adam with your hands. You have not only made everything, but you sustain everything by your powerful word. And you could, by rights, as a holy God, look upon us with disdain and frustration and just say, you know what? I'm just going to start over. You guys have made such a mess of things. I'm going to just start over. And instead, the Bible says that in your mercy and in your love, uh, you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on a cross for sinful people like me. So grateful for the good news. Might be people here this morning who don't understand or know the good news. We pray that you'd open their hearts to understand it. And that for all of us would have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning as you speak to us um, from your word and through your spirit. And we pray against the enemy who very much loves it when we do his bidding. And when we blow blow our stacks, when we lose our cool and we um, kind of spread our fury all over the kitchen floor, um, Satan is thrilled. And so we pray that you would muzzle him this morning, that you would bind him, and that you would gain great glory, and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, you know that he was a prophet of God. He prophesied in Israel, the northern kingdom back in the mid seven, uh, seven or 8th century B.C., so 750 or so, something like that. And God had asked him to go to Nineveh, which was the capital city of, Assyrian, of the Assyrian Empire, and preach to them and basically tell them the bad news. They got 40 days, and then God's going to wipe them out. Now, Jonah wasn't really interested in, in uh, doing that. Uh, for whatever reason, he decided to run thought he could run from God. Do you, you ever think that? Go through in your mind that like God wants you to do something or wants you to make a break with something you are doing and you're like, I, I don't think so. I'm going to just run from God instead. Doesn't work out real well, does it? And didn't work out real well for Jonah. God tracked him down, went after him, um, created a storm that um, necessitated his, the guys on ship to throw him overboard big fish swallowed him Um, in the fish he's still alive Jonah made a deal with God and the fish spit him out on dry land and Jonah had said I'll I'll go I'll go to Nineveh which he did he went and preached there and lo and behold the last thing in the world that he expected the people repented from the great and mighty to the most common person on the street they put on sackcloth and ashes as a uh, as a mark of repentance, hoping, uh, hoping that God would choose not to destroy them. And so verse 10, the last verse before what we're about to read, verse 10 of chapter 3, says that when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And that didn't make Noah or Noah Jonah happy at all. So chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. And so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. 
I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He's still hoping that God will go back and destroy these people after all. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. You can see the language of God's sovereign activity here. Three times he's God arranged, God arranged, God arranged. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, there are two fundamental ways to be blind to my own anger, I think. One is to not deny it. I think most of us know somebody that um, somebody's tried to talk to them about how explosive they are, and they just deny it. I'm not an angry person. I just have strong opinions about things. I just feel intensely about things. And if you're not accustomed to that, well, that's your problem, not mine. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm just being me. So a person might totally deny that they're angry. But there's another way of being blind to my anger, and that's by defending it by justifying it, saying, you know, uh, this person did wrong or, or there's this, this great injustice against me or somebody else and, you know, and I, I, I'm right to be upset about things. And this was, this was, this was Jonah's kind of defense mechanism. This is a way that he is being blind to his own anger. He's saying, I'm justified. You said you were going to destroy the Assyrians and now you're not. I'm justified in being angry. And then he goes outside the city, he builds this little... Uh, lean to out of plywood and God raises up a plant to protect his head which is a nice thing because um, if you go to Iraq today uh, Nineveh is just outside of Mosul guys that have served over there told me it gets up to 120 125 degrees in the summer you need something for over your head so God provides this plant and then boom God takes it away and he's so angry again he wants to die did you catch that in both instances, he's so angry that he, he would rather die than live like this. Live with the disappointment that God didn't judge Assyria like, like he thinks they should have. And we don't really know what, um, why Jonah was so upset about God not judging Nineveh. It may be simply that, as the scripture says, that I'm, I'm just upset that what I predicted isn't going to come true. More likely, there's, there's some other things connected to that. Assyria was an up-and-coming world power. 
The city of Nineveh was for 50 years the largest, largest city in the world. The Bible says it took three days to walk around it. It was so large. Over 120,000 people there. Um, Assyria used to be a, a, a bunch of small kingdoms that had all come together, and they were rattling this, their swords, and they were threatening neighbors. And it may well have been that Jonah saw the, the, the danger on the horizon, the war drums that were making noise, because indeed, in just about 30 years, Assyria would conquer the northern kingdom. They had already been doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and threatening their neighbors. And so perhaps he was simply concerned about safety and security for his family and his people. That's why he was so angry that God didn't do what he said he was going to do. And then, of course, this plant comes up and shades his head, which he's very thankful for. And then just like that, it's gone. And now he's angry again. And, and now his concern is comfort. And you think about those things, there's nothing wrong with being interested in your security uh, or your family's security. There's nothing wrong in being interested in your own comfort. But make no mistake about it, these things that we want, remember we've been saying that anger, is, anger surfaces when what we want we can't have. When we, we don't get what we want and we elevate wants to something bigger than simply, uh, it'd be nice to have that. And so for, for Jonah, these wants had become huge. The size of these things had become so large that they really, really was essentially a, a form of worship. He was blind to his own anger in part because he was blind to the size of his own wants. So he desires security, he desires safety, he desires comfort. You see, when we... And when we elevate wants to something far more than simply it would be nice to have that, ultimately we end up worshiping things. When you, you and I have wants that we raise and we nurture and we, uh, you know, we pamper and we graduate and we award them sooner and we employ them, we sooner or later turn these wants into something that we are actually worshiping. It's, it's not just that it would be nice to have but I worship him. And when I, my worship needs are not met with something, I go, boom. And everybody around me pays the price. Now that boom can be out loud or that boom can be quiet inside of my heart and people still pay the price for my boom even if they don't hear it. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm trying to talk about. So we have a husband who rightfully desires that his wife respect him. It's biblical. That's a biblical want, right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 says, uh, wives respect their husbands. But he wants it so bad. He wants her to respect him. He wants her, him, uh, her to admire him and, and to notice things about him that she will think are really cool. She, he's, he's looking for this, that, or the other thing. He wants her to respond positively to all his ideas and so forth. And instead, she criticizes him. Now, he wants her respect. There's nothing wrong with him wanting her respect. But by the way he reacts, you could tell the size of his want has has become so large that really he worships her respect. Because his reaction to her criticism, his reaction is to yell at her. It is to maybe look for something that he can kind of pay her back with next time he gets an opportunity to criticize her. 
maybe he's going to give her the silent treatment. In how he reacts to her in his anger, he is betraying that what he wants, though good and fine, he is elevated to something that he worships. Instead of worshiping God, he worships her respect. And the anger is evidence of that. Let's say you're a soccer player on the Pequay Valley High School team, uh, JV team. Uh, you've just moved from eighth grade to ninth grade, and uh, so you've, you've worked your way through the, 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 the junior leagues at Pequay Valley. You've played on all the traveling teams and so forth, and you're really pretty good. You've worked hard with uh, team practices. You've worked hard at home. In fact, um, you're pretty convinced that you are the best player on the team. But when it comes to position assignments, somebody else gets the striker position and you don't. And you know if you were put in that position, you, you, you would set scoring records. You're not cocky. You just know that's who you are. And what you, is what you want wrong? No. Nothing wrong with desiring that position. But by the way, either you or your father goes off on the coach, it evidences that your want is not just something that would be nice to have, but you've elevated as, as something of worship. If you'd sit down and you and your dad have a calm conversation with the coach and you hear him out and you say, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree, you bid your farewell and you go on your way, that'd be one thing, but your angry tirade indicates you have come to worship that position instead of God. And we said there, there are things that we can and should become angry about. Injustice we should be angry about. Imagine a woman whose husband, husband whose uncle, molested her when she was a little girl for two years. she have a right to be angry? Mm-hmm. And she sees this uncle walking around. He's never spent a day in a jail. He's never done any time. He's never even put an appearance in court because everybody that she's told about what happened doesn't believe her with the exception of her sister. And she's furious at this man. He's never repented. He's never apologized. He's never owned up to what he's done. And in her mind, she seethes. And she has brutal fantasies about him being uh, in front of her, under her control, perhaps tied up. And she does torturous things to him to pay him back for what he's done. Is she right in wanting justice? Yes. But for her, the fact that God says there's a day coming, Romans 12, 19, there's a day coming when I will right every wrong, I will avenge every wrong. For her, someday is not, is not enough. And she demands justice now, thundering from the temple of justice where she worships instead of the temple of God. You see, it doesn't matter whether we are justified in the thing that we want. How are we going to respond to that thing when we don't get it? And for most of us, in fact, I am probably say all of us, it's when we don't get it and we blow up 
that the truth is revealed about our hearts. I want that more than I want God. You know, the recipients of our anger feel like they are being brutalized. And Jesus did not die for us so that we could nail other people to cross us. He died to set us free from worshiping ourselves and thousand and a thousand little gods that we craft in our own image and then demand that all of our friends and our spouses and our children and our colleagues and our teammates bow down to or we will explode. About six weeks ago, um, I was riding my bicycle out on Route 340, and um, I heard a noise that didn't make any sense over on my left. So I was on the right side of the road, so this would have been on the road. And I, I looked over, and I saw the strangest thing. There was a coil of four-inch drainage tubing, flexible tubing, about this high and this wide, going down the middle of the road. And I thought, you don't see that very often. And do you ever look at something that's kind of bizarre and your mind makes, uh, draws strange conclusions um, that later you think, well, that was really stupid, but it's just kind of in an instant. Um, A pickup truck had gone past me before this coil did, and it was about 30 feet ahead of the tubing. And my mind thought, oh, look at that. That truck's pulling that coil of tubing down the road like a boat's pulling a skier. It seemed like that. It was going down the middle of the road. It was the same direction and the same speed as the truck. And then I realized, oh, that's not the case because the tubing was slowing down and now it was coming over in front of me under the shoulder of the road. And I realized, oh, it fell off of that truck. And I'm hoping that the guy driving it heard something in the back in the cargo area something that tipped him off something's not right so I'm going like this trying to flag him down and get him to come back for his tubing and he just keeps going and there was an Amishman uh, across the road in his yard had watched the whole thing so he came out and uh, we were talking about this uh, for a while and pickup truck didn't come back didn't come back didn't come back and finally realized he, he, he didn't realize what had happened. So this man took the tubing across to his house in the event that he would come back. And how many times has that happened to you where something happens, maybe in a car like that, or, or something happens around you that you're totally oblivious to it? I wonder if I asked you if that's ever happened to you if all of us wouldn't put up our hands. We're, we realize that we're oblivious to some, some things. We can't see everything in life. And I wonder how many of us might this be true about, that we're, we're this angry man, this angry woman, this angry boy or girl, and, and we, we don't know it. We don't, we don't see it. And so here's what I want to call you to today. I want to call you to make a a 
determined effort to find out whether or not that's true. Next week, we're going to talk about the prince who brings peace, the Lord Jesus Christ who brings peace to angry people. But we can't apply any remedy to a problem that we, doesn't, we don't believe exists. And so today is all about um, diagnosis. So I have two suggestions for you. If you open up the bulletin you got when you came in this morning, there are a couple of inserts in there. And I'd like you to do this little self-quiz. This uh, quiz comes from uh, uh, Dr. Carter and Dr. Minrith's book, The Anger Workbook. Uh, you don't have to do it now, sorry. You don't have to do it now. Uh, take it home and do it. But to do take it home and do it. Be humble enough to admit the, at least the prospect is there that I don't see myself. I'm blind to myself. So do that. That's the first thing. And then here's the second thing. Ask the people that are closest to you, your roommate, your spouse, your children, friends at work, people um, that you go to school with, say, Craig, Cindy, and, and would you say I'm an angry person? And I promise I'm not going to get angry at you if you say yes. I, I just, I really want to know. I recognize that I, I don't see all of me, that there are other people around me that do, or they see more of me than I do. I really want to know, do you see me as an angry person? And then even if they say no, to follow that up with, have you seen me get angry? And if they say yes, say, say, can can you tell me when that was? What were the circumstances? I'd like to have more information about how I react and how tightly I hold on to my wants or even worship them. Okay? That's, that's all I want to encourage you to do. One, take that self-test, and two, to ask those closest to you how they see you. Next week, we're going to talk about the good news for ang- angry people. God has, uh, has etched hope on a hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago are angry people um, who are either controlled by anger or who lose it from time to time so that God might be glorified in how we respond to things that we don't go our way. Because make no mistake about it, um, as we go through life, we're going to find more and more things that don't go the way we want to. And how can we point to Jesus in the midst of that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, hope that we can be changed. Not just tidied up on the outside, but changed from the inside out. That this Holy Spirit that you have placed in believers is ready, willing, and able to do some transforming work. Not just um, making things look different on the outside, but that the root that's in our hearts might be transformed. I pray for brothers and sisters here this morning that might, might, um, might be blind to the fact that they don't just lose it from time to time, but they're angry people. Father, I pray for humility in our lives to be able to, to look long, take a long, hard look at us through this um, self-inventory and to have the kind of humility that will enable us to go to people we love and, and invite them 
indeed urge them to speak into our lives about what they see and not to be defensive about it, not to come back and say, oh, well, that was justifiable because of this, that, or the other thing. To be able to hear them say things that are in essence coming from you. Give us that kind of humility, Lord. I pray that you would do this spade work in my life, that you would do this spade work in all of our lives in order that your grace and your mercy might have a a clearer pipe to flow through into others instead of this kind of um, detonation that leaves a lot of marks and scars in people and in relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.